keep them in your home or love to see them in theirs. These are the creatures that bring us all together. Reptiles. reptiles. We're going to be delving into the experiences of reptile lovers from around the block and around the world. This is the Reptile Talk Podcast. What's up, everybody? This is Jeremy Turgeon from Brassman Reptile. And I'm Robin. I'm Creeping It Real. we got a very special guest tonight in our, our podcast kind of theme. Yes. With, with the most recent episodes. We've got Sergio Phelan from Port City Pet. How are you doing tonight, man? I'm doing good, guys. Thank you guys so much for having me. Absolutely. Most and from, from the Ground Up podcast. So it's another reptile podcast. If you haven't checked it out yet, you should go check it out. Boom. Yeah. So how are I you doing tonight? It. I'm doing good. Uh, I just got back from work. I just fed the geckos, and everyone's cool. I'm actually about to spray them down, so don't mind. Uh, I'll try to make as little noise as possible. <laughs> <laughs> so for people who haven't been following you or might not know who you are, uh, how did you kind of get your start in reptiles? Is it something that you were like lifelong lifer and you just like always been in it, or is it something you got into uh, gradually? My dad has been keeping snakes since the 70s mm-hmm. and not really in a way in which we see today or in the numbers in which a lot of people keep yeah. um, you know he just had an occasional burmese python occasional boa because like apparently you just you have to get a burmese python or a boa in the 70s <laughs> and 80s pretty so. much <laughs> so so that's kind of i grew up in a house that was cool with that kind of stuff and we had a bunch of reptiles growing up um, I went to the White Plains Reptile Show when I was a kid, like rather often, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd catch garter snakes in the backyard. We had a pond in which we would catch frogs and stuff like that. So, yeah, I've always been, um, it was nothing in which I was like totally enthralled about. I mean, I loved Steve Irwin. I loved reptiles in general, but I didn't really get heavy into it in the, say, the numbers or the seriousness until uh, I was probably like, 22 or so when I when I got out of the or got back from basic training out of the army and went back to school and um, kind of rediscovered a snake that I in my parents' house I needed to take it back after uh, after they took care of it for a while then I was like wow this is the coolest thing mm. and it was a corn snake and then uh, so I've always loved corn snakes but and then I kind of you know I got. I got sidetracked and got a bunch of ball pythons, <laughs> and I fucked up, right? <laughs> um, it's easy to do. Dude, and you know what? It's it's If it gets you more invested in it and doing you know more, because it's a stepping stone for a lot of people from you know having one snake or a couple snakes to having a bunch of snakes and really getting you know enveloped in reptiles. And I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. I mean, it, it it can be one thing when like the person's like, oh, well, I just want to make money. But if you're like, I like reptiles and I like you know ball pythons there's nothing wrong with that i don't think yeah Yeah. and i think i always uh i took a little bit of a mentality in which like yeah i was gonna breed those snakes and i did kind of at the time i mean we're probably talking 2012 to 2013 or so Mm -hmm. the ball python market was so like marketed as such yeah it was so heavy business um reptile radio all these guys were talking about you know, turning ones into twos as far as dollars go and using Mm -hmm. snakes to do it. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I kind of got, I felt like I got caught in the minutiae of that. And I feel like a lot of people did at that time. And I think now we're seeing that all unwind and people getting more into what they're actually into and less about like investing and all that stuff. And 
Um, yeah, so I was, I guess I was lucky enough to kind of lose my shirt when I was young, dumb, and poor anyway. So, so, I mean, it didn't work out, right? But I mean, it's totally fine. It was a great learning experience. And then I learned what I do and what I don't like as far as keeping and and breeding animals for sure. Mm -hmm. And then, so going from, you know, being a kid and, and, you know, seeing your parents keeping or your dad keeping stuff and then, uh, you know, working with some of your own stuff, you've kind of changed and evolved a lot as you've gone. And even just like listening to your podcast, the, uh, the different things that you're working with have changed and evolved as you've gone. And then you're getting more into like the isopods and, um, the bioactive stuff to, and you're doing supplies and selling that sort of stuff. So what kind of, uh, evolution was that? How did that kind of go for you? Well, I felt that a lot of people that I had looked up to, um, I had heard some advice from, from some individuals to say, stay focused, you know, you know, see it through, see your projects through and stuff like that. And I do do that, but I honestly, man, I usually get bored if I hatch out the same thing twice in a row. So as far (laughs) as animals go, like if I can't further a project to a certain amount, um, even though I may keep, so right now I'm, I'm actually selling a lot of breeding animals and like keeping one as a pet. So like I had Eastern black king snakes. I love those snakes. I bred them a couple times, both times the babies were so hard to get started and all that stuff. And I love the species, but I'm like, how cool is it to just have the one baby that I hand raised and then I'm going to set it up all nice and like really appreciate it. So I'm kind of in a weird trajectory as far as breeding animals goes, but Mm -hmm. Um, I realized that the energy and the passion actually, it helps being less focused. It helps saying, oh shit, here's gargoyle geckos. Like I have 10 gargoyle geckos in front of me and I didn't give any cares to them, you know, the last seven years I've been looking at these things, but all of a sudden they just kind of caught my eye and now I really love them. But it also informed my snake keeping and informed my substrate mixes and informed the isopositor in there, the springtails. Um, so now I know if any, if I ever have a customer who wants to use, you know, some type of substrate or wants to use a certain cleanup crew. Now I have advice to give them because I mean, so many people have gargoyle geckos and crested geckos. And now I kind of understand how amazing they are as well as I understand a lot more how to keep them. Yeah, for sure. I think that when people pigeonhole themselves into one section, like, uh, you know, they just say, okay, I'm only going to work with corn snakes and that's it. I'm not going to do anything. That can be great if you're looking at like breeding and stuff like that. When it comes to your overall care and how you work with and interact with those animals, it's better to have a sampling of different things. So, you know, you might not keep your, you know, crested geckos or uh, the same way that you're going to keep your corn snakes. But when you're looking at your care and your substrate, the way that you may uh, approach your juveniles and your babies, uh, things that you can learn from working with a different type of reptile can definitely lend to uh, working, making you better doing the stuff that you're actually you're more interested in. And, you know, I think the saying is like, uh, "Calm seas don't make for good sailors." You know, you got to kind of uh, go through the test to be able to be really considered good at something. And it, it, that's kind of what you're saying is that, you know, from working with your gargoyles, you've kind of got a better feel for, uh, how you might do things differently with any of your other bioactive stuff. Oh yeah. 100%. And that's kind of, uh, I think keeping reptiles in general, especially when you get to a certain 
number of animals, mm-hmm. um, you leave yourself really open to failure in a lot of ways. Yes. Uh, so yeah, in you may have one gecko and everything goes great and stuff like that, but that's you know a sample size of one. You're working with ten. Um, you find out kind of what works with what. Then you go to twenty, thirty. I mean, you know, you guys work in a facility in which. Yeah, I mean, you're probably talking hundreds. So I mean, just the <laughs> amount of knowledge you you gain so much more knowledge in having more snakes. Um, you know, there could be a guy who has a collection of five corn snakes for twenty years. Honestly, the person who has you know two hundred corn snakes for five years probably knows more. Uh, it's kind of accelerated learning just by the amount of numbers and the sample size you get all these different situations and stuff that happen mm-hmm. yeah 100 percent. I, I definitely feel that way especially like when uh you you start thinking about uh ailments in in mm-hmm. reptiles you know if you only have one or two of a particular species you, you might not really see anything any kind of major ailments because you know First of all, like you're generally, if you've only got a couple animals, your, your husbandry is going to be super on point, and uh, and you're probably going to be staring at those animals every day. Um, if you have, you know, fifty or so, you know, especially with the same species, your sample size, you know, like you're saying, is larger, so you're going to see different quirks. You know, you might see like, you know, I think about ball pythons, for instance. Like some ball pythons might be on a lower part of a rack system when you start doing temp drops, might pop an uh, an ri you know but the rest of your rack doesn't you know or you just start to see different things that um more often than not is only ever read about or only ever seen in situations where there's a large sample size of animals in one area yeah yeah 100 percent. and there's also you know there's certain things that come associated with even certain projects in animals certain genetics in animals in which Mm -hmm. Um, aren't really known to the public and you learn once you hatch out 15 of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Hey, like this gene over time, the last three years has been the hardest clutch to start. Yeah, There's something right. there. I mean, they're related. So maybe it's just something that, um, is it inherited from the parents that were picky feeders or maybe it's the function of the gene is actually changing something in the animal. Yeah. And, to know you can't know those distinctions, which kind of sucks, which is why I kind of, uh, I don't know, I've, I've weeded out a lot of projects because of even things like that, just not the highest quality genetics for one reason or another. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's like uh, piebald ball pythons tend to be a little bit more picky than some of the other uh, mutations and morphs, and then like you got the jag carpet pythons that got their wobble that's even crazier than the spider ball python wobble and you got like the zebra carpets that they'll have knots in their tails sometimes when they're born and there's like all these little things that you know if you've had one you know carpet python you're not going to know that right Um, but if you are producing carpet pythons or you've got you know 50 or 60 or 80 or 100 of them it's probably something that is you will run into and dealing with that can definitely put uh, a challenge to your keeping Oh, yeah. And, and there's certain things in which that's kind of an emotional and mental game come into it, too, because mm-hmm. it can be super disappointing with it when you're really counting on things. Yeah, yeah. I can't tell you how many people 
who have never bred things before, they produce a couple clutches and they'll lose, you know, two or three babies, just failure to thrive, animals that just were small, didn't absorb all their yolk, or, you know, this, that, or the other thing happened, and they lose a couple animals, and they're like, I don't even want to breed animals anymore, this is terrible, like, I mm -hmm. love this animal so much, I got to hatch it out in my own hands, and it's like, you know, that's something that not a lot of people talk about. I mean, there's probably more people who talk about it now than in the early 2000s and the 90s and everything. Yeah. But still, people don't realize that there are those situations where you can have this animal that you're like, oh, I've been waiting on this one particular thing to hatch out, and then it just does not thrive. It doesn't do well. And despite, you know, your best efforts of force feeding or assist feeding or doing all that you can, sometimes there's nothing you can do that to keep that animal going. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and this is, this is kind of my time of year for, um, this is where kind of all the picky feeders, it's kind of the, uh, make or break type of moment. Yeah. In which, uh, mm -hmm. So this is why I feel like, uh, I'm being probably a bummer about it, but, uh, let's talk about some more fun things. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you have gone through different evolutions and you, you've got a couple pythons still, right? Maybe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have I have a decent collection. I yeah. mean, a normal person would think it's a collection. <laughs> <laughs> so, what would you say is like your favorite python to work with? Ooh, so that that goes back and forth a lot, but really the one constant is probably my olive python. That's what I was hoping you were gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fair. That's fair. And uh, and it's really not. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of the individual animal just as much as it is the species. I only have one. Uh, yeah. Water python, I only have one. Mm -hmm. uh, I think 90% of people don't have good experiences with their water pythons. Yeah. And mine has been just incredible. So it's like, it's yeah, I may not like water pythons, but I do like my water pythons. <laughs> For sure. That's fair, yeah. yeah. I, I love olive pythons. I think they're super underrated, and I feel like a lot of the people who think that they want a reticulated python, what they actually want is an olive python because they've got that super glossy, smooth feel to them. Um, they get to a decent size, but they're not unmanageable. Like, you know, an 11-foot olive python is a very, you know, intimidating animal, but the majority of them are not nutcases like some retics can be. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, definitely food aggressive. Definitely, um, yeah, something in which when you're behind the tongs, you're like, that feels different. Um, <laughs> a, very, a very strong animal, probably not much different than a than a retic. I mm -hmm. mean, retic is a giant or a giant strong animal, but um, yeah, it's kind of the alpaca pie didn't get as much love because although for us it's cool, especially having like a patternless snake, there's only so many genera of patternless snakes and liasis, the water python, the olive python are one of the really small few. Yeah. So, so it's like people think probably the normal individual probably thinks it's a drab, like gray snake, but to us, I mean, it looks so, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. If you haven't had the chance, like if you're listening and you haven't had a chance to like handle an olive python, find someone who's got one and ask them if you can hold it because it'll change your mind about them. That's very like, true. I didn't feel really one way or another about them until I held a couple like 10 or 11 foot ones and I was like, oh my God, this snake is so awesome. Why do people, cool. why do people keep her ticks? These are just as cool. Like, <laughs> I don't get it. I mean, I get the retics have all the crazy colors and everything, but like, ah, uh, for, for size reasons, I, you're not going to throw your back out picking up a, all the Python. <laughs> True. Yeah. That is the nice thing. It, you know, it doesn't rearrange the furniture. It doesn't, you know, <laughs> have to choke you out or do anything like that. Yeah. 
So what uh, kind of drew you to corn snakes? Was it just like, you know, nostalgia reasons or what do you, how do you feel about corns? Cause I just now I'm kind of gaining an appreciation for corn snakes. I, when I was younger, I never really, if someone was like, Hey, look at this corn snake. I'd be like, get out of here. Don't talk to me. I'm looking at pythons right now. You're domestic yeah. species. <laughs> yeah. I was like, you can find those around, like not here, but like you can find those close to my area. I'm not yeah. interested in that, but I, they are like one of the most popular pet snakes and Honestly, when people ask what kind of pet snake they should get first, I usually end up telling them either a ball python or a corn snake. Yeah, I mean, that's really it is that I well, I love them for a a myriad of reasons. But one of the reasons is definitely the fact that it's a great pet and I can have confidence pretty much selling it to anyone. And once I get that animal eating, um, they're going to have a good experience. So. That's really my main concern is like passing it on. As far as if I was to breed 200 retics, would I be able to guarantee that? <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So, um, so I mean, having core snakes, yeah. I mean, for that reason, 100%. But also, just honestly, it has the attentiveness. It has like visually, it's paying attention. It's an active snake. It's kind of like, and people probably don't like this comparison, but it does have a similar niche to, say, the carpet pythons or Morelia. I mean, to me, they have the same kind of, um, they move around very similar and stuff like that. I just think they're really attentive and really cool. Um, Mm -hmm. It's just kind of when you hold it, they're not going to bite you. They're just kind of going to explore and... Uh, yeah, I love the handleability of them. Yeah, I like that you can also uh, kind of market it as a animal that you'll you can set up a nice enclosure for it, and it will utilize that nice enclosure because like you give a ball python, you know, an, even an adult ball python, a big seventy-five gallon enclosure, and you put branches in there and stuff. You might see it move around once a month if that like you're not gonna it's gonna hide most of the time and it's probably not gonna be very comfortable but you take an adult corn snake and put it in a 75 gallon with all these branches and things you're gonna see that corn snake use every inch of that enclosure all the time they're they're just so variable and they're very like forgiving of keeper error so like you can kind of keep them almost however you want and they do really well uh, and that's one of the things that I always try and tell people when they're getting into snakes. Like when they're babies, corn snakes can be a little nippy or like whatever. They're a little squirrely or whatever. But after they get a little bit bigger, once they hit like that foot mark, they just like mellow right down. And most of them are just like super chill animals, very curious. And they're pleasing to have in your home to like look at and to observe. Yeah, I've had I've had corn snakes since I was, I believe it was kindergarten. And I, I brought one in for first grade. But the different ways that I've kept them over the years, and they're all wrong. Um, like, <laughs> quote, like, quote, wrong, yeah. Like, you know, I had them in a critter keeper or I had them in a 10-gallon with a heat rock. I've had them with no heat at all. That was a method that we did for a while, just yep. straight up room temp. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally, I like 70 degrees. <laughs> it's fine. Um, and then as I got older, you know, I started doing 85 degree hot spot, room temperature cool. And then once I got so many, I started doing ambient room temps, uh, going from 80 to 82 in the summer, 82 to 84, just natural fluctuation. Yeah. And they've, they've all worked. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the babies, you got to be a little bit more particular starting off. Yeah. Uh, once they're adults, though, you can do anything to that animal. It's incredible. Pretty much. That's that's one of the things that I've I've told people. I'm like, 
you can almost keep them however you want. Like, if you wanted <laughs> to make, like, a, a sandy coastal enclosure with, like, half sand, half dirt, they'd probably be fine with it. You could do a deep forest one where it's all just dirt, and you could do your, uh, you know, your isopods and do bioactive, like, in the in a forest, and they're going to do great. You could do them on paper towels. You can do them on newspaper. You can do pretty much however you want, and they are going to do fantastic. As long as you're making sure that they stay hydrated, you're giving them food, and you give them a place to digest their food at an appropriate temperature you can pretty much change just about anything else and they don't really care <laughs> yeah i mean you're talking about a species that the northernmost range is southern new jersey and then the southernmost is the keys of florida mm-hmm. like yeah that's, that's a pretty, pretty wide tropical range. yeah <laughs> yeah tropical to new jersey yeah uh, <laughs> so yeah it's crazy uh yeah I, I certainly do appreciate that that flexibility of of the species you know, because so many other species, I mean, even if, if you think about, like, not even really going too far away from that, but you look at, like, a lot of Lampropeltis species, like, mm-hmm. they get they get too cold, they're just not not, not going to thrive, you know. But the corn snakes can certainly tolerate that quite a bit more. I definitely don't recommend chilling your corn snakes except for brumation, but... I was going to say, brumation, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah. They can... <laughs> That people putting them in fridges almost like yeah, for the winter. Definitely some like honorable mention for you know things like Morelli and stuff. I've always found those great to keep and stuff. Like there's a, a little step up that you can take and have very little issues as well. So corn snakes can be like just a great starting off point. Yeah, yeah. And if you're looking at like a frame of reference for like any of the other pet snakes, like a ball python, you take it off of heat and just leave it at room temp. And you're not going to have a happy ball python at no. all. No, it's very true. Um, My ball python won't eat. Yeah, and then if ever. it eats, it's going to regurgitate, and it's probably going to decline very quickly after yeah. that. Yeah. You know, in comparison, it's just they're such an interesting thing. And then with, like, king snakes and stuff, you got to worry about them biting and all that sort of stuff. And blah, yes. blah, blah, blah. The fun of Lampropeltis. <laughs> I think all, all of mine, uh, as soon as I go to clean their enclosures they're like ready to annihilate me. Oh yeah. I'm like, I don't even smell like food. I wasn't in the rodent room. <laughs> I like, just but have there's to be other something snakes moving. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, I just have to be moving in front of you. Yeah. I apologize that like, your food mode is at a hundred right now. Stop doing that. Stop yeah. moving. What yeah. are you doing? <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I had to start I had to start feeding in sneakers because I opened up a bin in Eastern Black King Snake, launched out and just lashed onto my fucking toe. No! Uh, that's horrible. That's a terrible bite. Uh, I and they're just annoying. Imagine. Like, they don't like to let go. Uh-huh. Like, they don't yeah. get the point. They don't understand that you're not. Like, they're the dumbest animals. <laughs> I, like, I love them, but they're the dumbest animals. They don't understand what's food, what's not yeah. by any means, and they don't get it ever. I had a uh, scaleless Texas rat the other day, like, clamped onto my thumb mm. and, and wrapped around <laughs> me thinking I was food. And I was like, oh, my God, are we serious right now? Yeah. So just bring it over to the sink, water, run it. And it unwrapped but stayed chomped stayed onto my thumb. And I'm like, <laughs> really? Oh, really? it's like that. Is this okay. is what we're doing? And it took probably another, like, two or three minutes before it finally just, like, let go of my finger. Wow. And I was like, you're either You're very persistent. hungry or just a general jerk <laughs> like <laughs> oh my god uh, so joe uh you have been doing the podcast uh port city or sorry from the ground up uh for a while now how did you kind of come to doing podcasting so it's something that when i first got in the hobby i mean at the time i was listening to all different kinds of podcasts but 
reptile radio I, I listen to a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just seems like something in which I was able to consume easily because mm-hmm. I was always on the road. I was traveling a lot and doing a bunch of different things. So it was just it's just kind of my preferred way to digest information. Yeah. So I, I was just a fan of podcasts. And then uh, Morelia Python Radio guys came around, and I just really loved their podcast. And theirs just seemed a lot more down to my uh, preferences and kind of sensibilities for, you know, the hobby and stuff like that and different things that are going on. So uh, that really inspired me to do my own. Because, like, I, I wouldn't be able to do Reptile Radio. I mean, I, I'm not that guy. But when I saw someone doing it in, like, more of a niche type of situation and kind of more talking about things that I would ask, yeah, um, that's what really got me inspired to do it. Mm-hmm. And then you also use you you utilize YouTube as well and video uh, for your podcast as well, right? Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing YouTube live streams. Honestly, a lot less people engage in that, but you know, we have a nice little community of people who just kind of dick around on a Monday night, so it's <laughs> nice. But. But yeah, otherwise, uh, I, I used to do a lot of YouTube videos, and those are probably coming back pretty soon. Cool, yeah. I used to do YouTube videos back in the day, like when Brian started doing uh, snake bites and, and all that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. I, I made YouTube videos for a little while, and then uh, my life just got too crazy. And I honestly, I really enjoy editing videos and putting together videos and stuff. So like when I was doing my own videos, I had a lot of fun doing it. And it's funny because, like, our camera guy up a nerd, he's like, don't you just hate listening to your own voice? Like, when I'm editing videos, I hate hearing my own voice on the thing. And I'm like, I don't really care. Like, it doesn't yeah. doesn't bother me at all. I, I just like putting it together and kind of coming up with a uh, different flow to the video. And I, I like all that sort of stuff. So I, I really yeah, just, like that. Yeah, it just kind of comes down to a time thing. Yeah. Uh, it's so time intensive. Yes. So I respect anyone who's able to, to put out videos consistently. It's incredible, honestly. Yeah. yeah. Seriously. <laughs> so w- were you planning on doing the YouTube and um, like having the podcast be a like um, on, available on apps outside of YouTube? Or was that like something you came up with afterwards? So the original intention was definitely to have the podcast to be more of a podcast. Um, the YouTube live stream wasn't really intentional. Mm -hmm. Um, at the time it's kind of hard to think about now, but no one was doing any type of live YouTube show or like any type of live stream like that. Um, well, podcast wise in the reptile space. Yeah. So I don't know. I just, it seemed easier to do it that way. I had the equipment in which I figured out how to basically capture, you know, the audio through interviewing in that way. So I just did it. Um, I started though, I started YouTube before I started the podcast, although I had kind of the plan to do all media. Um, so of course all the social media as well as YouTube and podcast. And I was doing daily vlogs actually for a while, uh, for probably like three months. Oh, it was terrible, man. <laughs> that just sounds exhausting. I was exhausting. a miserable human being. Dude, I don't I don't think I could ever get to the, the daily vlog no. level. Because yeah. that's just like, I, I feel like I would very much be the same where I'd be like just beat after, it, probably after the first week. Mm-hmm. And then be like, oh, here we go. I got this camera in my face. I got to be fucking happy. Way to go. Good choice, JT. That's, that's why I like my Instagram because I just post stuff on my stories and it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is a 
thing. All oh, look at how yeah. professional this is. It's just like ah, oh, here's some memes. Have some fun, here's dude. Some, here's some snakes. <laughs> I am I am low key obsessed with your Instagram stories, bro. <laughs> I'm glad you're enjoying it. <laughs> I'm like, you know, political banter. Yep. fetish stuff. Yep. Um, hey. Occasional just like gore and coolness. I'm just like, fuck yeah, this is awesome. And I never really know what to expect. But I don't <laughs> ever like, I don't ever hate it. <laughs> Dude. At I the very this, least, I'm like, that's interesting. I, I like that because I always, I'm curious, because whenever I'm posting things, I like, sometimes I'll post something like really messed up. And then afterwards I'll post something like super <laughs> casual. And then I'm like, I right. wonder what people are thinking. Like as they're like clicking through, they're like, Oh, that's crazy. That's like a cool, like a uh, cosplay thing. And all of a sudden it's like someone covered in blood with like holding pumpkins and stuff. And I'm like, that's a weird transition. And here's a picture of a snake too. And it's just like, you never know when you click that story icon, what's going to pop up. That is very true. <laughs> That it's the best. I just like to have fun with it. That's I think that's how I kind of try and have all my social medias. I just try and have fun with it, and I hope that people enjoy it. And if they don't, then don't follow me. I don't know what to tell you. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, like the way that you curate, say your stories, you're only gonna have a tribe of individuals who are cool and kind of get you yeah. in a way in which not many people will. Yeah. Because it's so like it's so specifically curated to your personality. Yes. I think that's why that's why it's cool. Yeah. I it's funny you can tell who the people are who just started following me because I'll post <laughs> something like messed up on like my regular story, not my close friend story. Mm -hmm. And they'll respond back to it to be like, what the fuck? And I'm like <laughs> Oh, you're new here, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> 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 uh. Oh, Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. <laughs> so what are like some projects that you're looking to like get into? Is there anything that you're like eyeballing right now? And like, oh man, I gotta, I gotta kind of get that. I'm, I'm interested in that. So I did, I did get some high orange gargoyle geckos. Ooh. So it, it's just something in which everyone goes for the red yeah. and I don't know. I really like the orange. It was kind of, it was one of my original colors in my logo. Mm -hmm. And I've always just liked orange, so yeah, I wanted to get as orange as possible. And uh, yeah, they're they're super awesome. Um, as far as any other projects, I picked up a Baron's Racer recently. Hell yeah! That's cool. Hell yeah! I'm so about <laughs> that. Those things are awesome. So yeah, man, I just need a blue one now. I I got the green yes. one. I could do without the brown. Sorry, folks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I need a blue. They're the blues so cool. are silly. You know, yeah. you, do you know um, Ryan Martinez, Zookeeper Ryan? No. You should hit him up because he works with uh, rhinos, and I think he's got some barons too. Um, but I'm pretty sure that he's working on a blue project, and he's got some really nice animal. I think you would, you'd think he's interesting too. He's a really cool dude. Yeah, yeah, I would love to reach out. Give me his info on uh, Instagram. I'll, I'll definitely shoot you a message afterwards and, and, and link you guys up because he's an awesome dude and he's got some really nice animals. Um, yeah, because I know uh, John Michaels was had all of the color phases and he was doing a project, but I heard he got out of it. So I was a little concerned, like, who's picking up the ball here? Mm -hmm. um, is there still going to be those projects? Mm -hmm, yeah. Mm -hmm. For the gargoyles, do you have a preference uh, as far as like reticulated or striped 
I mean, a lot of people are just like, striped, I want to see all the stripes. But I've seen some, like, when you mix the orange and the red stuff into reticulateds and you get, like, blotches on them, they look insane. They look so cool. Yeah, I love kind of the splattered look. I don't I don't have any, and <laughs> I, I need to get some. But I, I actually do like that look better than the stripe. Um, there is kind of a weird thing. In reptiles, I tend to go for the things in which people don't naturally, like, gravitate to. <laughs> so I always kind of, I kind of have this way of getting some things that I like as well as some things that I know people will like because I can't, like, sit on animals forever. Mm. Um, obviously, I can keep a certain amount of animals back, but I... I don't want to get in a position where I ever have to like put an animal on sale and like really try to get it out or do anything like that. So I need to kind of keep in mind, uh, you know, I, I can't produce, you know, 200 Eastern black King snakes. I could produce, I could produce 10 and do amazing. Yes. Um, <laughs> if I, if I, if I bumped that to like 30, well, I would be, you know, I'd be wholesaling them. Yeah. There's just, there's some markets that are just that tiny. I think you kind of, you kind of learn that in the reptile hobby rather quick when you when you mess that up. Yeah, some people go gung ho and they're like, "Oh, well, I can get fifty dollars each for these, and and if I produce a hundred of them, you know, that's blah blah." blah. And then you're like, "Well, you got to consider how many people are actually looking to buy that fifty dollars yeah. snake because right. it might not be as high in your particular, you know, your reach. How how many people you reach might not be all those people who are looking to buy that animal, even at the fifty dollar price point. Mm -hmm. It's it's such a a learned thing. Like you don't know." Uh, exactly how big the draw is going to be until it's there. And you can make some big mistakes if you go too gung-ho too quick. Yeah. I oh, know. yeah. Lucky enough, I've always been too broke to go too gung-ho. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's one thing that, that's very easy to do with, um, with certain species. I mean, obviously, uh, we've all met the people who go gung-ho with ball pythons and mm -hmm. just drop a shit ton of money on ball pythons. But... Um, even if you're doing some like corn snakes or carpet pythons or just any, anything that python wise, it might be gets a little bit larger or even boa constrictors where you drop some money into it and you're like, yeah, you know, this is going to be cool. I can make X amount of money off of it, whatever. And then, you know, maybe you have that one season where you absolutely crush it and everything that you breed actually produces. And it's like, you know, at least 85% fertility mm -hmm. and, and viability out of the offspring and all of a sudden you're like yeah you know i should maybe see like 20 or 30 babies this year and suddenly you've got like 75 or 100 you know babies. yeah 120 <laughs> whatever and then you're like shit oh i gotta feed all these babies <laughs> yeah i feel like especially with like corn snakes just mm -hmm. because uh more often than not they're het for a bunch of other things that you're unaware of. So you're like, oh, yeah, I'm going to breed this to this, and I'm going to get blah, blah, blah. And then all of a sudden there's blah, 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 but then there's six other things in that clutch that you were not expecting <laughs> and uh, that might not necessarily be as desirable mm. as the other parts of that project. Then you're like, okay, what do I do with all of these? <laughs> what do I do now? <laughs> yeah, I think that's, uh, for me, that's definitely the fun part. I don't yeah. typically worry about uh, selling a corn snake. I, you know, I'm able to market to a level in which I can I can sell corn snakes pretty well, and like I just like seeing different colors and stuff come out of the eggs. I'm a pretty oh, yeah. pretty simple like that. I'm just like, 
different pattern, different color, neat. I didn't <laughs> expect it. Awesome. And uh, so yeah, I don't. When it comes to that kind of stuff, I'm always I'm always into those surprises. That's kind of why I love corn. Another reason why I love corn snakes, basically. For sure. Yeah. Is there um is there a specific mutation of corn snake that like consistently grabs your attention like i know for me it's it's either anything that's blood red or anything that's butter anything that is any of those combos i'm like oh that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think kind of the obvious one's palmetto, palmetto so that's kind of a cop-out answer but i mean that <laughs> is a morph in which like i have oohed and odd over for the last eight years and i finally yeah. produced one so hell yeah uh, so that's like that was just amazing. I love those snakes. Um, yeah. You know they do not have the best genetic pool, you know, or anything like that. Unfortunately, so we're trying to tease that kind of stuff out. Um, but what else would grab me as far as uh, I mean, pied sided, diffuse blood yeah. red, that kind of thing. Pied sided are great. Um, but I, I really like a lot of uh, my snow stuff. I know it's really simple, but something about white and pink snakes, to me, it's like that should be the pinnacle. I don't know on what planet is it normal to make pink and white snakes. <laughs> like, and, and people are selling them on the table for like 25 bucks. To yeah. me, if I, was, <laughs> if I was to like take, you know, an... I don't know. There's plenty of ball pythons that are very expensive that are pretty drab coloration. And then yes. I have this little mm-hmm. pink and white snake, man. I don't know. To me, that's like, it doesn't get much better than that. I could never, it just seems unreal to have some a snake that's pink and white. I don't know. Yeah, it's like the candy cane corns where they're like that bright, bright white and red. And it's like, how is this only, you know, a 50 or $100 snake? I don't even understand. This thing is yeah. like, it literally looks like a candy cane. It's bright red. And like most red snakes or white snakes and like red and white, they're like a couple hundred dollars. But just because it's a corn snake, they're like, ah, it's cheap. You know? Yeah, <laughs> 50 bucks. Yeah, 50 luckily, bucks. luckily that's changing now, Yeah, which is, which is really cool. But yeah, think about uh, candy cane that's probably, I mean, that's easily 25 years of selective breeding. Yep. Mm-hmm. In corn snakes in particular, it's kind of, they're kind of relics as far as captive breeding really started in colubrids and genetics really started in corn snakes. So uh, ball pythons, they're just, they're kind of new kids, you know, just late 90s, that kind of thing. But uh, corn snakes go all the way back to the 70s and 80s and they've been mm-hmm. being live bred since then. And no one has really focused on line breeding many ball pythons in particular. So uh, I think that kind of gives uh, corn snakes a leg up on the just it would be very hard for you to just hatch out a candy cane. But someone did, you know, 25 years of work before you and you're able to do it. It just I don't know. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. No, I definitely I definitely would agree with that. And like we were just talking about that on one of the actually multiple different episodes uh of the podcast talking about like nobody's really taken that time with ball pythons to mm-hmm. find some interesting polygenic trait um and and just work it you know and get it into another project and or just kind of expand and see how crazy they can make it so i feel like that avenue is still very much alive for ball pythons should someone actually want to do it but mm-hmm. um you know ball pythons are basically always marketed as the snake that you purchase to breed yeah 
you know, right. and uh, and it doesn't doesn't necessarily get publicized much much of any other way. Just like, look at this cool snake I made. You can make it too, but you have to give me a lot of money. <laughs> right, and it's and it's about stacking the genes. It's not about even just producing another animal. It's about putting more things into that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and and I don't want to say that no one's working with that kind of stuff because I believe there's a guy named Andy Grossman, and I think mm. I think he has a wild type ball python selected breeding project. So that's that's, so that's awesome. the kind of shit that you can get behind right there. Yeah, no, for sure, man. I mean, I, I just think about like uh, the original, all the original like pastel stuff for ball pythons back in the day. You'd like Kevin had the lemon line pastel, then there was the citrus pastel, there was Graziani line pastel, like. You know, these guys were like, they found their little uh, desired piece in each each uh, line and just kind of went with it. And then as more genes became available, it was, it you know, just like you said, it was about like stacking stuff and just trying to make the coolest looking animal versus, you know, just like the most insane looking pastel that you can find. Yeah, I mean, they honestly did so much work in such a small time frame as mm-hmm. far as like those those pastels now people are probably kind of pass those off as almost normals mm-hmm. um what they started out with i mean i yeah. think a lot of them were uh i mean eye color right so a lot of them had green eye color mm-hmm. and that was a very distinctive thing but um yeah and then just by the early 2000s you were already having incredible pastels in just like two to three generations yeah. yeah, exactly. What I want to see is someone line breeding for size. I want someone to make eight-foot-long ball pythons. I've seen some uh, six-footers. Where are those Volta folks? Right, yeah. right? I imagine if they just like took a couple generations of just picking out their biggest babies and then raising them up and then breeding those and taking the biggest babies – I want to see a seven or eight foot long ball python. <laughs> Dude, Steve Tillis could probably make he's that happen with his Zeal River one, man. locale. Yeah, his locale, uh, the the locale ball pythons he's got, they're probably like five and a half, almost six foot. Six foot, yeah. So I would love to see some giant. Imagine someone walks up with a seven foot ball python. I'd just be like, okay, the stories are true. Okay, the that's stories cool. Are true. Yeah. <laughs> you do have a seven foot ball python. <laughs> yeah. Besides all the people who call our store and they're like, we have a ten foot long ball python and they bring it in and it's three and a half feet long and i'm like how or it's not even a ball python yeah yeah it's a it's a king snake they're like i've had this ball python for 20 years and you're like you're like oh oh that's 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 uh, not even what you thought it was that's cool (laughs) so how do you navigate because i'm curious because obviously um i don't think a lot of people know that there's a store underneath your facility right pet store yeah we have the full pet store called zoo creatures so as far as like that store goes, I'm sure you're having so many people try to like drop off random animals yep. or like rescue animals and that stuff. What do you, how do you usually navigate those situations? We actually charge people to drop animals off because um, a lot of times they're not in the greatest health. Um, there's you know we got to feed them, we got to take care of them until they're well enough where we can screen them, make sure that they're healthy before we offer them to a new home. Uh, in 20. 18, I think it was 2018. We had over a thousand reptiles brought and dropped off to our store. Whoa! Yeah, in one year. One year. Yep. So uh, that is that's like three. It's like two and a half a day. Yes, mm-hmm. pretty much. Yeah, there was there was <laughs> what days. The hell? Yeah, we it was it was a lot. And you know, a lot of people will call us and they'll get upset and they'll be like, "Well, you're charging me to take my animal that you're going to sell," and we're like, "Yeah, but like." 
you don't understand how many people like are like, oh, I take great care of my leopard gecko and it's awesome. And then they bring it in and things got MBD. Its legs are like curled up into little pretzels and like it's horrible. Like some of the things that we've seen and the people don't re even realize that anything's wrong. Yeah. And, uh, you know, giving the care to those animals and doing whatever's best for that animal long term, it does. It's not free. It doesn't. It costs us money to do that, um, you know, in man hours and medicine and all this different stuff. So, you know, we do charge a small fee for people to drop off animals uh, with us. But those people do that and they know that that animal is going to get taken care of and it's going to find a new home. Uh, we've had a lot of people that are moving out of country like they're they're or they're moving from one situation to another and they can't bring their pets with them and they'll bring them to us. We'll set them up, screen them and then find new homes for them. But I've seen a lot of people who are like, Oh, I'm moving to Switzerland and I can't bring my, you know, five ball pythons with me. So here <laughs> you guys can take them or, or whatever. Right. But it's, it's funny because a lot of people come to nerd and they see our reticulated pythons that we sell them and they're like, oh, you must get a lot of people bringing back, you know, 15 foot and 20 foot long snakes because they don't know what they're getting into. And I'm like, I, the amount of time I've been at nerd full time for almost five years now and I can count on both hands the number of retics that have been dropped off. So over five years, it's been under 10 animals. Uh, but I can't, I can't tell you how many bearded dragons, leopard geckos and ball pythons because people are like, they're just too much to take care of. And I'm like, your ball python, the thing you got to do like 10 minutes a week to take care of, that is, <laughs> that's what's too much to take care of. It's crazy. It's, it's just so weird to me because you would think that like all these big monitors and reticulated pythons and big stuff would be the stuff that we see all the time, but it's not, it's usually like leopard geckos and ball pythons. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I think it's it's probably pretty easy to put up a quick Craigslist ad and say I have a 16-foot snake and someone will, will snatch it up. Probably. In comparison to, like, another ball python, another leopard gecko. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's very true. It's um, It certainly does get um, frustrating, though, especially when we're already sometimes limited on space yes you know and uh you know we certainly have had to turn people away yeah just um, especially turtles people with turtles yeah. are the worst because we try not to sell people on turtles like unless they're like die hard i love my turtle i'm gonna do everything to take care of it right because we get a lot of people who are like i want a 30 dollar turtle and it's a small one i just want like a small turtle and i'm like you know that it's not just gonna stay like a a little three inch turtle, right? You know that it's going to get bigger and you're going to have to get a bigger enclosure and filtration and lighting and all this stuff. And they're like, well, uh, uh, I just want like a little turtle. And you're like, no, because you're going to come it's back here in five years when it's, you know, a foot long and you're going to say, well, I can't take care of it anymore. And uh -huh. then we're going to have like a lot of pet stores just get overwhelmed with the amount of aquatic turtles that are brought to them because there's so many people that get them when they're little they, and it's cute and it's entertaining for a little bit. And then once they get to be, you know, eight inches, 10 inches long, they're a lot of work and they can be smelly in your house. And you know, they can be an eyesore if you're not keeping up with them. So we get a lot of people who are like, you know, we want to drop off turtles and we have to turn a lot of them away because we just don't have the room to take all those turtles that get dropped off. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I've seen uh, just down here in the canal in Philly, like in the middle of the city, there's so many red-eared sliders. And yeah. then, um, mm -hmm. I forget, I think there's a zoo somewhere that I went recently. Maybe uh, they took in um, a bunch of animals that people dropped off and they had thousands of red-eared sliders, yep. like yeah. thousands in this pond. Like 
almost crawling on top of each other. Yep. It's yeah. crazy. It's it it really is ridiculous the number of, in particular radiant sliders and I think painted turtles yep. would probably be the two most common. But like I remember when I was on the the board for the New England Herb Society, it I think every single month there were no less than 10 Ready or sliders yep. in on the adoption list. Yep. You know, and it was just like, oh my gosh. <laughs> like, wow. People don't realize how big they get. They see the little cute turtle and they're like, oh, it's just a cute turtle. And it's like, yeah. yeah. Well, every like, baby well, animal gets to be an adult animal at some point. Yeah. But it's still just yeah. a cute turtle. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, dirty, dirty creatures. Very. Uh, very. Bruh. Very dirty. <laughs> and I mean, like, go back to if you know anyone who's gotten salmonella. Uh, turtles pretty bad. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, I can't even. Ugh, no. Yeah, I'm not about it. I have a red foot tor- red foot tortoise, and that's that's my only. Oh, it's with your parents. Thing. I was like, that's you have my, a. That's with my parents. Yeah. You have a tortoise. I was like, you're hiding things. He's the host with me here, and he's hiding things from oh, me. Oh, dude. <laughs> you don't know me, bro. You don't know me. <laughs> uh, I I had a red-eared slider when I was growing up. Um. Uh, that was given to me one of my friends from school didn't want it anymore and ended up bringing it to me and so when i did educational programs i would bring that with me to every single program and be like look i know you want a baby turtle but this is what they get into because it was like a foot long it was huge um and i was like this is what it grows to be do not just go on a whim and get a baby turtle don't do it you're gonna regret it it's not everything that it's cracked up to be i know they're cool i know that they got the cute little shell uh but they are not the pet that you think they are they're super (laughs) duper not yeah and it's kind of weird like tortoises like my nephew has a little um has a little greek tortoise and i mean they're great as far as uh Keeping's keeping's pretty simple, um, and they also just don't really smell and have any of the uh, keeping of. You basically have to keep a fish tank right Water for changes. say uh, spider and stuff like that. But yep. uh, yeah, I mean, besides living a hundred years, uh, tortoise is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, I, I definitely think that's you know the other big aspect of turtles and tortoises, just that lifespan, man. Mm. Like. You aren't mm-hmm. ready for that. You know, the little turtle growing into the big turtle is one thing, but then realizing, like... you got to give it to your kids, maybe your yeah, grandkids. Yeah, that thing's going to be in your will. Yes. Like, <laughs> if you are if you know what you're doing, that thing should outlive you, probably outlive your kids, yep. and uh, could potentially outlive your grandkids, depending on... Could you imagine? Yeah. Depending on what <laughs> species, man. Yeah. You know? Ugh. It's a possibility. Aldabra. Aldabras, that's right. Oh, yeah. It's blown my mind, the popularity of Aldabras in the U.S. hobby over the last five years. Yeah. It's insane. Like, I I looked at Aldabras and, like, Galapagos, and I'm like, oh, that's a really cool thing that I would like to see at a zoo, but I I don't know if people own them and then all of a sudden i'm seeing them at tinley and i'm seeing them like on for sale on fauna all over the place and yep. people are like i need to get an aldabra and i'm like what are you gonna do with an aldabra tortoise like re- realistically what are you gonna do with an aldabra you're you gonna your need a child, forklift to move it let like, your child ride it around the backyard and okay lawn. yeah and what are you gonna do when you need to move it from one side of your lawn to the other side of the lawn if it's getting cold outside like i don't well don't ah. own it when it when if you live in a cold climate yeah oh my goodness that's that's the trick yeah or you uh have your child sit on top of it and uh hold a stick out with a, a, a leaf of lettuce or a carrot in front of it and uh you guide it 
I, I just like, I see the, when I think of like a big Aldabra, what I think of is the picture of the sulcata tortoise coming through the drywall into the person's uh, bathroom. Yeah. I'm just, I'm just like, okay, now think about how big an Aldabra is. Like, it'll ruin your house. Absolutely ruin your oh, house. 100%. 100%. Yes. It'll go into your basement and then it has to stay with the house after a certain point because you can't get it out of the basement. Yeah. Like, what, what, yeah, I don't think even? people people don't realize that some of these guys do live in boroughs like say Sokatas and stuff like that. And like you can have a fence in your backyard. We'll Homeboy's right gonna go under it. He's yep. gonna try to go over it. He's gonna every which way. Yeah, right pretty pretty it. sneaky animals for slow for slow bastards. It's true. It definitely is true. I when uh, when we were just at Barjack's place, he, you know, he's got Speedy his mm. Sokata in, and uh, they just have him kind of roaming the colubrid room. That motherfucker can, he can run book. some laps. <laughs> yeah. He can run some laps, man. I was like, oh, there goes Speedy. And then, like, less than a minute later, you're like, oh, there, wait, wait there goes Speedy. He's on the other side how of the did, room. Yeah, how did that happen? You know, like, dude. And he's a good-sized sulcata, too. Mm. He's probably at least 18 inches in diameter. Jeez. You know, it's good. I'm amazed he doesn't break the colubrid rest. That's what I was just about to yeah. say. <laughs> I'm like, I, I guess you're just running out the energy in this rectangle here. But, you know, sheesh. <laughs> <laughs> so what um was southeast carpet fest was that the first carpet fest that you've been to or you go to the og uh no so i've gone to i've gone to southern a few times mm-hmm. uh, i've gone to northeast and then that uh was my first time at southeast yeah that was my first carpet fest and it was my first southeast carpet fest so it was definitely interesting to check out and i that was the last fun to be had in 2020 for most people. It's like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was game over after that. Yeah, yeah very true. Get back home and everyone's like, COVID, COVID, COVID. And you're yeah. like, ah, oh, like, damn cool. it. <laughs> Self-quarantine for two the, weeks. Yeah, there goes the rest of my year. Six months later. <laughs> yeah, dude, I thought that we were talking a few weeks, a month. Yeah. I was like, oh, two months, this will be done. We're at Halloween. Everyone's like, where are your masks what are you doing yeah legit oh not good not good at all no i think what i and what i miss a lot honestly man is reptile shows and uh yep like i used to i used to do at least like two every month and that's really different like traveling around the country and like you know i went to new orleans last year i went to um, obviously the carpet fest, I went to places all around PA, Baltimore, stuff like that. And it's like, it's nice to travel to get out. Uh, mm-hmm. now we're just kind of stuck and it's nice to talk to people because, uh, you realize that keeping snakes alone is only so much fun. <laughs> That's true. The aspect of the community is certainly huge. Um, oh I yeah. Don't... It keeps you going. It's what, it's like what I see as one of like the biggest points of staying in the hobby Mm-hmm. is getting connected with the individuals like the animals you're gonna you're gonna wax and wane as far as like you're you're not always gonna feel as passionate but you may get a call from a guy who's passionate and then you're like oh yeah i remember why i do this uh-huh. yeah yep exactly i i think that that probably is my my favorite part of the job is like you know getting to deal with a customer or you know whatever or at a reptile show you know and you talk to that person who they've like just got bit by the bug Mm. you know they just got that spark man i I freaking love these things they're so fucking awesome man like Like that you're like hell yeah dude like yes this is awesome and i appreciate the random caffeine boost of energy (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I, yeah, man. I was, I literally, yeah, I literally just had that experience now. With someone, someone called me on the phone on the way home, and it, he's like, "Send me all the kink snake pictures." He's like, he's sending me kink snake pictures all day, and I'm like, "You just having this enthusiasm is making me feel just so much better at what I do." To be honest, because it's also like someone in which aspires to be where you are now, which like for me. I live a very simple life. There's nothing extravagant for you guys. It's a little bit more. It's a little bit cooler. It's a lot of bit cooler. So <laughs> people, people aspiring to be me or to be you when you, when you stop basically realizing that you live a cool life and then someone pretty much reminds you of it. Or at least that like, sometimes I think like, Oh, I'm a snake loser alone in my house. <laughs> and then someone thinks I'm cool or, you know, thinks yeah. it's cool that I have a room full of snakes. It's cool. Yeah. I'd certainly appreciate the people that are like, Oh yeah, that's pretty cool. Versus the people who are like, what do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why, I mean, honestly, do you guys usually say, do you usually divulge this information? Like, I don't know. At work, you end up becoming like the snake guy or something if you work a normal job. Or if you just say one thing, you become that guy. Well, okay, so I'll tell you my my synopsis for dating because that's always really difficult. (laughs) So I always always lead off with the fact that I'm a musician first. (laughs) (laughs) And then then I'll lead into any other like projects I've done with animals that aren't necessarily my own. So like when I was working with uh, UMass Amherst on the Digital Life 3D stuff, I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I work at a university and this project and blah, blah, blah. We work with animals. And, oh, that's really cool. Do you do anything else with animals? And you're like, now the door is yeah, open. And you're box. like, <laughs> check this out. And if you don't run away, then we can talk about date number two. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I feel like um, I am so heavily into reptiles that it's all the other aspects of my life that make people think I'm weird. <laughs> so, like, the reptile thing, I, I, that's all I post. So, like, anyone who might have felt one way or another about it is long, long, long gone. And mm. the only people who are finding me now are reptile people. So it's it's not usually anything, you know, besides that. That, you know, I, I don't know. I feel like. I feel like I, I'm just like the reptile. I'm the reptile guy everywhere I go, but. Um, That's fair. Dude, I'm going to start introducing you as that. Do it. This is Rob, <laughs> Rob the reptile guy. It's better than a bunch of the other people who was like, this is Rob. He's the foot guy. And I'm like, oh, why'd you have to start with that? You, could, you gotta warm people up to that. You don't just throw that right on the table at first. Like, uh Damn. Yeah. Snakes are one thing. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's true. I guess so. <laughs> oh, man. So we are winding down our time here. Um, but we ask everybody uh, one closing question, the one question to rule them all. Uh, and that question is, uh, what in the realm of reptiles, uh, be it a project that you're working on, uh, something that you've seen on the internet, a uh, project that you've been watching progress and grow, or a place that you've visited, what in the realm of reptiles has got you excited about reptiles right now? Ooh, I don't, I'm, I'm really hesitating to say this, but I'll say it because whoever has made it this far in the podcast is cool. Yes. And... And this is seriously what I am so fucking excited about. So this, uh, I told you guys that I couldn't 
Um, I could have did this later because I have a flight early in the morning. I'm flying out to Charlotte to meet with my partner to find a space to open a store in Charlotte. Oh, bro. damn. That's, that's fucking dope. awesome. Hell yeah. Dude, dude I'm about awesome. it. That's so cool. So, dude, I've been trying, like, just not to say anything for a while. But it's <laughs> like, yeah, it's happening. So I'm super fucking pumped about it. Like, Hell yeah, dude. dude. fuck yeah. It's the dream, man. Hell like, yeah. If you ever have questions or anything like that about shops and any of that, do not be afraid well, to shoot us a message. I, that's why I was asking that question, but I wasn't going to say it. That's um, <laughs> so, yeah, man, I have... Because I was asking you a question about the pet store earlier, so I've got I got so many fucking questions. Don't be, be afraid, honest. dude. Hate Serious. No, I, dude, I don't think so. I think that we're cool. Yeah, hell yeah. <laughs> I am so pumped about that. That's super fucking exciting. Congratulations, man, dude. Yeah, that dude. is that's awesome. Oh, dude, we're doing um, multi species. Hopefully, a whole living wall paludarium with neon tetras, a like black Amazon forest. Oh hell yeah! Uh, like water tank. Badass. And with, with a Mata Mata in it yes! and some emerald tree boas yes. and some yellow-headed geckos dude. just rolling around. Oh, That's hell yeah, dude. fucking mint. That's so cool. <laughs> dude, so, there's so many things. All I'm saying is we need an invite to the grand opening. Yeah, for reals, though. That's, you know. <laughs> we will be there. I'll be there. Jeremy will be yep, there. I'll be there. <laughs> I'm, I'm oh, we're doing it. Hell yeah. 100 all right man so that's winding down our time but thank you so much for coming on tonight i appreciate it so much man it's been great talking to you yes and we'll have to have you on again sometime soon absolutely guys fun times and you guys will have to uh, reciprocate and you'll have to come on the podcast sometime yeah hell Hell yeah yeah. anytime you want just let us know hell yeah guys all right take care later